Uh, the sky is the limit at the moment and there's so there's so many possibilities. The food industry is very diverse, very unique. Everybody has their own processes, their own products. Everything is very special. So how do you approach that when it comes to automation, quality inspection? What technologies can you use? Stay tuned to find out. In the Quality Leaders podcast, I discuss challenges and innovation in quality assurance in manufacturing. What keeps the industry experts awake at night? Where's innovation? What are the technologies behind it? And what role does artificial intelligence play in all this? Good day, everyone, and welcome back at the Quality Leaders podcast. Today we have two guests, and we have Bram and Turn from King Engineering. Hi, guys. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Hey, good to have you here. Glad that you could make time for me today. As per usual, I've prepared some questions for you, but perhaps it makes good sense for you to start introducing your roles and the company that you're active in. So the word to you. All right. My name is Bram de Vrucht. I'm managing director at King and we're a development company focusing on the food industry where we help machine builders, but also food producers with all kinds of challenges and integrating the new technologies such as vision AI. Yes, and my name is Teun Keustos. I'm a deep learning engineer at, at King. So we work on implementations of vision and AI, and that's my expertise. All right, maybe a first question. Why did you choose the food industry, the food manufacturing, especially that one to focus on? It sounds very complex, actually. That's the reason, one of the reasons why we chose this, uh, this area, I think that it also has to do with why we founded this company. We wanted to have a, a an impact, positive impact on the world. And obviously the food industry has a lot of challenges. So the growing demand of high quality foods, more people to feed. There is a, a new a shortage of actual labor to produce food. So that's one of the main drivers at this point, but also a transition in the food. We want to eat less meat. We want to eat more, more biological and higher quality foods and all those challenges come at the same time. So we feel that the technology is needed to mitigate those challenges and that's that's where we come in. Yeah, at least the sole thing that I can say is you like a good challenge in that way, so that's nice. Yes. Hey, maybe a very general question to answer your explanation about that. Is it then possible, do you think it's possible to automate any kind of food production? So personally, I don't think it's possible to automate anything at this moment, but we can automate an extreme amount of, of different use cases. There's so many things that people at first don't think are possible and later seem to turn out to be possible. So I think a lot is possible and more than you might think. That sounds already good news. Hey, you said deep learning. A question for you then. Do you think AI is stupid or smart? So the crazy thing is that Already since the 1970s, every time someone makes a smart system, people push, keep pushing the boundaries of what is, or actually the definition of what is smart and what is stupid. I'm not really sure whether it's smart or stupid, but the th we see crazy things are possible. And every time I'm working with a deep learning application, I'm amazed by the learning capabilities of these systems. So I would say it's smart. It's getting smarter, maybe. Definitely yeah. getting smarter every week, actually, at the moment. Yeah, and it's also about the definition of what is smart. And I think that's different. If you, A lot of people are trying to compare artificial intelligence with human intelligence. And 
I think that what we see is that artificial intelligence is capable of doing one task or a small set of tasks really good and maybe even better than people, but people are still a lot more flexible and learn a lot faster with different circumstances. So it's a bit, it's a bit on how you approach and what your perspective is. And what you have to do, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Hey, so. Okay, you focus on food manufacturing. You've probably seen a ton of projects over these years. Is there any red line, any recurring characteristics that you see at the side of the customers who innovate, who want to yeah, automate certain steps? I think that the, one of the lines that we see is that every food manufacturer is facing uh, the challenges on the availability of human labor. So. I think that this is one of the most difficult things to automate. People are really flexible. The handling food is really complicated. Every piece of fruit or every piece of meat or it is unique. So that makes it quite challenging. And with the upcoming technologies and the compute power and all the technologies coming up right now, it's getting more accessible to automate also those challenging things. So that's something that we see, but also that companies who are yeah, starting with deep learning or integrating new technologies have share a thing that's staying ahead of the curve. They all have this urge of moving forward and trying to yeah, actually use this in their business and grow their business, trying to integrate these technologies. Yeah, perhaps it makes good sense to stand still for a moment and have our listeners understand what it is actually a typical use case that you try to automate that you're working on. And so I've of course been to your website. You have quite a nice website. So I recommend everybody going there. I've seen some interesting videos on your LinkedIn as well. So let me concretize this. So in food production, I understand that there's a lot of labor. Perhaps there's a lot of automation already happening, but at the end of the line, there's usually a bottleneck of people who still need to do at least there a lot of manual inspection. Manual inspection, is the fruit or vegetable, is it good? Is it fresh? Are there no defects in the product? Type of handlings, quality inspection, handling the fruit, handling the object, that are indeed, as you mentioned it correctly, very complex because every object is unique, every defect is unique in their own way. So let's make it actually concrete to an actual piece of bread that's exiting the line of production Maybe it's baked a little bit too hard. Maybe there's a small specific atypical cut that looks a lot like maybe a shape of the bread, but in the end is, is a cut of a piece of metal that's not positioned correctly. Are these type of things that you could detect? How do these automations look like? Definitely. So the thing that you already said is every, or generally in food, every product is different and it's extremely difficult to predict what a certain defect would look like. So it's oftentimes just a very small irregularity that we as humans can easily spot, but for a system is very difficult. And you could think about the bread, for example, indeed. So when it's baked a little too, too much, or it's not baked evenly, perhaps that's a better example. For us humans, it's very easy to see that one end of the product is a hard baked. And the other one, other part is not baked enough. But for a system, it's very difficult because this threshold is shifting every single time. And that's where AI offers us a chance to develop a system that really understands the concept of the defect that it's looking for. And therefore, this technology is super suited for quality inspection. 
And quality inspection is something that a lot of food manufacturers actually need. Because like you said, it's something that hasn't been automated often. And it's something that costs a lot of labor. On yeah. top of that, I think that it also is a first step to to guarantee a more what's called a more objective way to to do quality check, to do yeah. quality inspection. So you are better capable of having a standardized definition of what is okay and what is not okay, and you're not uh, relying on the mood of your operator or the fact that he or she was out partying last night until five a.m. Yeah. So consistent quality assurance. Yeah. Hey, I was about to ask, but yeah, you kind of already answered it. I'm going to ask it anyway, a little bit more as, yeah, making it concise and making a resume. So what kind of applications would you say that we're seeing the most today, which prior to AI, prior to deep learning, were impossible? Well, it's quite a, it's a difficult question. And I think that uh, seeing the use cases that are coming up right now, I think that what what Turn explained just now is that a defect or a not okay product can be anything. If you have a if you have a cut on in the wrong place, the, the cut can be everywhere. And to make a traditional vision model, for example, on use cases like that, is quite complex. And using AI, it's much more resilient to changing environments, changing changing products, changing defects. So I think that with AI, the application and the reliability of the quality control is much higher. So the effect is much higher. Yeah. 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 You said something that triggers me. Indeed, it's difficult to see everything because you're looking at three-dimensional objects. Bread, for example. Let's stick to that example. The cut can be anywhere. So what would be then, to put it all one, under one, name, what would be the technological limit to the innovations that we are seeing today? Would that be anything you can see? Would that be? So if you're talking about technological limits, that's always quite tricky because the sky is the limit at the moment and there's so many possibilities. To be honest, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't dare to talk about limits. However, of course you need to sense a defect in some way. Uh, we see some customers that want to be able to look inside their product with deep learning and two-dimensional camera. That's impossible. And I would say getting, being able to sense the defect that you want. So being able to enable an expert human to see this is also enough to have a deep learning algorithm recognize. So I would say getting a view on the defect. I would say that technology isn't exactly the limit. I think that the limits that we see are mainly dri driven by use case, by the business case yeah. of, of the use case, because you can throw a lot of technology into, into a project or into a use case, but don't get an ROI. And I think that for many companies, in the end, it's important to have a good view on how much does it cost to automate, for example, the quality assurance, and how do I get that investment back? So it's about... It's not about the limits of the technology. It's about how to apply the technology in a way that it's still interesting also for a business or business case. And just jumping onto that is that what we see is that many, many companies still look at an ROI cost driven. So they see, I'm going to replace maybe a couple of people. They cost me a certain amount of euros or dollars or whatever a year. 
I'm going to integrate something new. What's the cost of that? And when do I have a return on investment? And I think that with AI or any other technology, the thing is that we don't only look at the cost-driven side, but also at the value-driven side. How much value can we create by integrating new technologies? And what we see and what we, and what we can also really emphasize on is that by integrating an AI model, for example, or being able to have a really specific quality assurances, it means that you can deliver exactly the quality to your client that he expects, not more, not less. You can not only see if a product is okay or not okay, but also understand why is it okay or not okay. And if you understand why, you can use that information to prevent producing the, the bad quality or the bad product. So there's a lot of value creation possible when you integrate, for example, Vision AI in the food. These are indeed new, it's a new technology enabling new type of automation, new type of cases, right? We mentioned it before, you get a more consistent quality output because the operator now is an AI model evaluating consistently with always the same benchmark. It's not feeling ill. It's not, it it didn't went out partying last night, like you said, correctly. But also indeed insights, you get new insights. You can, I've heard indeed now, reactive and predictive maintenance type of things I've seen. These are insights data that's being gathered at the same time. Insights that you wouldn't be able to get or as fast or as consistently. So indeed, measuring the ROI is done differently more than just what labor am I going to be able to replace or what more consistent, how will my consistency improve its a combination of metrics indeed. So let's zoom in. Why do you think, because there's obviously a lot of projects, how do you think that a lot of these projects don't actually make it? Because it sounds like a very interesting type of automation that everybody has to do. So how come many projects don't make it to actual inline implementation? Yeah, so I think there's actually two sides to this problem and we... I th- last the last week I heard some statistic that was saying that 95% of the projects don't reach the deployment and there's a technological aspect to this because it's not only developing an algorithm it's maintaining it it's make, making sure that it's capable of, of of interfacing with the right the system parts it's and this is all needs to be maintained and also to stay ahead of your competition it needs to be improved while AI is developing like more and more every week so it's going quicker and it's quite difficult to stay ahead of this or at least to to be able to match this pace so that's quite a challenge for a lot of company you need quite some data scientists to be able to do this uh unless you use a platform like robovision of course but probably we'll come back uh, to that later and on the other hand there's the social uh part of it because it's a very new technology and it's also a new way of thinking we visit a lot of companies where the people have a hard time understanding ai as a system and also how to work with it. So you'll need operators who often have little to no education to be able to work with this AI, whilst oftentimes it's very difficult to understand and to maintain. So that's two very big problems of big challenges to uh, to face when you want to implement AI. Yeah, I was about to ask indeed, what are the risks when automating? What are the things people usually underestimate and indeed you're naming them it's not only implementation because and that leads me to the next question it's not only implementation it's maintenance mm. it's getting it also 
in an easy to use way for your operators because indeed they have to operate your production in the end that they're still invulnerable. You cannot miss, you cannot go without them. So indeed, maybe that begs me to ask you the question, why would indeed people move from more in-house development where of course your in-house engineers, data engineer, data scientists and engineers can work with a lot of, as we know, open source algorithm solutions that are out there. Why would they not do that type of approach, keeping everything in their own hands and maintaining it themselves much rather than I heard you indeed say the a platform approach? Why would you indeed opt for either one? Why would you develop your own Excel or Word, for example? Basically, that's the question. It's <laughs> the same question. And I think that if you talk about Excel or Word or Microsoft Office, everyone thinks it's a no-brainer. I'm not going to develop something like that. I want to use it. I'm a user and I create documents and I create spreadsheets with them and I use the spreadsheets and the documents. And I think that for AI, it's the same thing. It's a completely different area of expertise and knowledge to develop a platform or a tool and maintaining it in a way that it's that it stays ahead and stays up to date. And I think that people need to use AI and not develop it. And it's about the application of AI and it's about the application of the tool and making and creating value with the tool in your own process or in your own machine or in your, or for your product or for your client. So how have you then experienced, because then you're already using this tool as well, how perhaps have you experienced moving from a more tailored approach where I imagine in the past you did use open source algorithms? How have you experienced yourself contributing that to because you're focusing on proof of concept, scalable proof of concept for food manufacturers. How have you experienced using this type of approach in a proof of concept and later then, of course, enabling the customer to scale that internally? So for us, RoboVision is the perfect tool we use to develop these algorithms ourselves. And this went pretty well, but it took quite some time. And since we started using RoboVision, we became much faster in doing these proof of concepts. Also, the performance of the algorithms was better than we could achieve ourselves because you've got like this entire team of data scientists working on this full time. But especially, I think the most important thing is that it enables us to enable our clients to start working with this technology very fast because a lot of our clients have no experience with data AI, have no data scientists in their team. So they want to be able to start with AI as accessibly as possible. And RoboVision enables us to keep control as long as the client wants to, and also to give them the control that they want at their own pace. I think that's the biggest advantage of RoboVision for us. Yeah, the platform idea is being able to scale and start small for, because a lot of times people want to see it to believe it. And I think that still AI, deep learning is still a black box. We don't understand what happening, what's happening inside. And if we don't understand something, we see it as a potential risk. We experience it as something that might go wrong or stuff like that. And I think that's still is one of the bottlenecks in, in, in implementation of these projects is that people are always trying to understand what's happening. And we need to build trust in these technologies and trust only comes with experience and with see good results and um, being able to build from that. And I think that 
using a platform enables us to start with a really small project and even start from with trying to do a proof of concept with products of our client in our own lab and simply showing that we're able to, to get the bad quality out or to really show it. From there on, do a small project at our client and from there on, simply scale in the pace of our client to, to implement those and deploy those technologies. Yeah. Yeah, so to sum it up, you would call it indeed a way of yeah, innovation as an innovation accelerator. Yeah. And quickly going to, yeah, proving if a concept is feasible, yes or no. Yes, yeah, so it's a multi-stage rocket. You start with, with going into orbit and from there you're going to travel to the moon and then to Mars. I think it's not only an accelerator, it's also an enabler for a lot of companies because there's just way too little data scientists to build all the algorithms that we as a collection of enterprises want. And using a platform technology enables a lot of companies that ha don't have the power to start working with AI. And in that way, I think it's an enabler. Yeah. A scalable way of in yeah. work. Most, with the example that is most relevant at this point is how Tesla is doing it. They, if they have all these data vacuum systems driving across the roads in the whole world, and they're gathering constantly new data and they're improving their algorithms every day and once in a while you get an update and the update is pushed to every car so it's getting better and better every week and this is something that we can now apply to industry as well so if you're a company that produces bread for example on different locations all over the world and you learn something in the stage you can deploy the upgraded model to all the locations of the world and then so you can improve your own production your own systems your own products day on a daily basis a central way of managing something globally. Exactly. Just a click of the button. Yes. Yeah. That sounds indeed very good for even multinationals, not just the smaller companies then. Hey, so we've talked a lot about quality assurance. We've talked a lot about automation. Perhaps it makes good sense for us to zoom in on that. Why would people have steps in a process of all things that within a company you have to pay attention to that you can potentially automate. Why start at QA? There are many reasons to do, but I think that if you want to, in the end, want to optimize or improve your process, reduce costs, you have to start with what you're, what's coming out of the production, out of, at the end. And that's, that's basically a baseline for what's happening inside of your production and inside your uh, machine or your process. So being able to improve is measuring what's coming out and then relating it and correlating it to the other parts of the process. I agree. Yeah. So maybe you've been in the business for exactly 10 years. So I forgot to mention when introducing you, but congratulations to that, by the way. Thanks. How can you describe the evolution within the market that you've seen within the customer demands for the past 10 years? Ooh, I think it's, you could say an evolution is getting a revolution. I think that what we've seen in the last two or three years is maybe the same changes as in the seven years before that. I can imagine that, um, yeah, things are changing much more quicker every day. And I think that COVID definitely had, was like the spark of that. It feels like that essentially. 
But yeah, you could say that the world is changing faster and faster. And this, it's really important for companies, not only our own company, but also our clients is being able to cope with those changes. As Darwin said it, and not only the strongest or the smartest survive, but it's about the companies that are the ad adaptive enough to cope with the challenges. Yeah, I think indeed. COVID was a brutal example of how fast reality can change. Exactly. Going from not finding enough place at the office to nobody coming to the office. Yes. And abruptly changing the market, abruptly the need to automate certain steps within production also. Okay, so we've talked a lot about vision. There's obviously a lot of other technologies in which King is also expert in the domain. How would you say that they're useful altogether? How would there be a sum of the solutions? How can we make the combination stronger than each of them individually? I think that uh, the last years, a lot of developments have been, have been going on on different areas, so different verticals. Data, you AI, vision, for example, megatronics or robotics, advanced automation, you could say something like that. And digital twin is also one of the technologies that that's really coming up. and uh, But to make a, an impact, it's in the integration of the, all those technologies. It's about connecting the data from your process to AI and being able to understand what's happening. Using Digital Twin to simulate scenarios, future scenarios, what if scenarios, and use that technology to basically riskless decisions. And, and therefore simulating also the, uh, the modifications or the adaptions that you need to make in the physical world. And, and in the end, still we, need, we still need advanced mechatronics and advanced automation and machinery to, to do the process for us. So essentially, it's not about only one technology. It's about uh, combining those technologies in a way that really accelerates um, uh, food automation. It's more maybe becoming an ecosystem of technologies than uh, a digital twin. Yes, I think that we simply, I can't imagine a future world without them. And, uh, and it's getting clearer and clearer that we actually are getting more dependent on those technologies and not in a bad way, but we can't cope with all the, cha the challenges and the changing environment without these technologies anymore. We need those to make substantiated decisions. We need to make decisions about how are we going to invest for the future? How are we going to stay ahead of our competition. And we need all those technologies and all that data to help us make the right decisions. And in the end, it's still the people who are making the decisions. We only need them as a tool and to enable us and to, to help us basically. And make the right decisions. Yeah. Get the insights that otherwise we'd oversee, we'd not get, miss out on. Exactly. Yeah. So perhaps a key takeaway, a generic one, how can the listeners who are active in QA, listening to our podcast today, identify perhaps their next best automation use case? Any tips you can give? Contact King. And if you want to start <laughs> yourself, then then probably it would be wise to to see where you see some very uh, very easy actions happening, easy manual labor being done, where there's some thinking, some easy product handling or some quality inspection that you could start with. We could uh, so share the case with, with the ginger, for example. It's a really a simple use case where there's a lot of manual labor involved, but 
the action is quite, it seems quite simple. And you look at the ginger, you look at the defects and you try to sort it. But to overcome those challenges and being able to automate that, that that's quite challenging. And, and the nice thing is you can start with simple or at least with a quality check. And from there on, you can look to how can we, if we're able to sort, so make a decision on is it good or bad quality, then the next step is how can we automate also the sorting itself. And the next thing is how can we add value to the end clients? How can we provide a sorting system that's able to sort exactly the right quality products for the right type of client? So it's really, yeah, don't make it so hard on yourself. Start with the easy to, to use case, but also look at the business case. Progressive innovation rather than wow. definitely, going definitely. for the big monster. Starting small. Starting small scale fast. Yeah. Let's try to make it also understandable what people would be looking at if tomorrow indeed they say, hey, I want to automate my ginger, my bread, my apples, whatever not, whatever they're producing within food. How would such process look like typically? Of course, I understand every project is unique, but perhaps there are some building blocks that you can illustrate what it would look like if they were to call king. Definitely. So there's also always some uniqueness to the case. Otherwise, it wouldn't be innovation. So uh, there's always some questions that need to be answered. And we'll try to start small and find those questions and identify how we can ask, answer them as quickly as possible. Oftentimes, we'll start a proof of concept or some other feasibility study in order to answer the questions, answer whether this is feasible. And if it's feasible, we'll always try to define a development roadmap and we'll define steps that someone needs to take in order to come to this innovation. And in that way, we try to keep this process as controllable as possible because oftentimes implementing new technologies is something that's quite nerve wracking. And by doing this incrementally, we'll work together with the client, we'll work towards an integration that provides value for the client. So it's all about confidence, getting... yeah. You want, uh, you want to have an early, you want to have an idea on the feasibility. Our clients simply, and, the, and it's really simple. They always ask, can you do it? And how much will it cost? That's the questions that we need to answer. And by setting up a proof of concept, for example, you get a good feeling about the complexity. How can we turn is really looking into the technical complexity. So identifying which tool would we need? How can we scale? What are the difficulties that we need to overcome? And if you have those questions answered, you can move towards a roadmap, as Tern said, in how to mitigate those risks, trying to do so in small steps. Uh, but in the end, always keep in mind the main objective of our client. What is the main objective? What answer, how does this technology add value to, to the business? And that's something to always come back to. Yeah. And get clear for the customer as well. Exactly. Yeah. What value will they get in the end? Yeah which is usually bigger than what they probably expect at first. Yes. That's something that we can guarantee is that the added value coming out of these projects is always more than expected at the early start of the project. It's always an aha moment. And that's nice to hear. Perhaps a, a final conclusion for the people who want to start then with innovating, with AI, with computer vision, with digital twins, any final recommendation or conclusion? Yeah, basically don't shoot for the moon. Start small, like we said, and learn fast, fail fast in order to uh, scale fast later on. Yeah, don't feel bad to, to fail a bit. It's part of the process. 
All right, gents. Well, thank you very much for your time and interesting insights for today. And I hope to speak to you very soon. Thank you. Thanks. Have a nice rest of the day. Goodbye. Thank you all. Bye-bye. That's it, folks. Hope you liked it. If you did, follow the RoboVision page. Follow my page. Leave us a like, of course, or a comment. If there's anything you'd like me to talk about quality-related, leave it in the comments and we'll be for sure considering it. Take care.